All right. So we're here with our first ever Corner 3 podcast. I'm Derek Reifer. I'm here with RJ Garcia on the line. Hello. Hello, guys. Hello. We are here. Um, Just want to start things off by saying this is our first podcast. So uh, we're going to see how it goes. We're going to do our best in terms of structure. And I'm sure this thing will evolve over time for the better, hopefully with some semblance of feedback. Uh, We would like to hear anything from you guys. Uh, Please feel free and feel obligated to follow us at Corner 3 Sports on Twitter and tweet at us or or DM uh, with any sort of feedback. Or if you can put the comments out on this podcast directly. I'm not sure exactly yet where this is going to be broadcast, what what app. Um, I'm sure if you're listening to this, you will know what app you're listening to it on. So that will come out later. But any feedback, obviously, would be more than welcome. Um, but just in terms of what you're doing here, um, since you've never heard this podcast before, what are we? Uh, if you've been to our website, corner3.net, we like to talk about sports statistics and really just more of a stats-based way of looking at sports. We, we focus mostly on basketball, but uh, we will be diving in to other things, baseball, football, and not just the on-the-field product, but front office, um, even ownership and things of that nature will definitely be touched on if we can get to them. Uh, we, I think we really want to say that anything might, that might be touched on at something like the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference uh, is something that we would want to cover on this podcast. And of course, if something seems like it's not working, something seems like it is working, those kind of things will evolve over time. Uh, anything else you wanted to add on that rj before we start actually dipping into some sports talk yeah and i think one more thing i would add and this will have as the show goes on you'll notice at the end we're going to close every episode with some sort of a fantasy draft and i think it's going to be largely a potpourri where it could be a vast different topics um today we're going to be doing a fantasy draft of drafting a first team rookie team and there's been a, a little bit more buzz recently over the rookie of the year with the rise of Trey Young since the all-star break. And we're going to have to, we'll talk a little bit about how we see that shaking out when we do the draft. But every, every draft will be a little bit different. Every draft will not even necessarily be in basketball or not necessarily be strictly players necessarily can be teams, cities, whoever it might be. Uh, But we just think that we've just been doing so many drafts just (laughs) thankfully over time. And I think that it's something where, Doing his drafts, talking it out is something that we've done, have a lot of experience with. And it's really just fun, fun talking yeah. it out, fun hearing it. And uh, it's fun to argue, really. I mean, just like you as a listener <laughs> having something different than we have, Derek having something different than I have. Which I usually will. Which I'm sure we will. And I sure hope so, right? Because you need some sort of a different viewpoint. Um, and so that's just the last thing I would add is just we're going to do a draft. We'll talk about sports for a bit. We'll do a draft and then we'll say goodbye. All right, great. Um, so without further ado, let's get into some of the stuff that we really wanted to talk about today. So the first thing that you definitely wanted to talk a little bit about, and I want to talk about for other reasons, is the draft lottery. So for those who don't know, of course, the draft lottery system was changed this year by the NBA in what seems to be an effort to stop teams from tanking. Um, you can make an argument one way or another whether that has actually succeeded or not. But the odds for the number one overall pick have been reduced 
for the worst team and improved for the next two teams. So it's currently 14% at the number one pick for the top three teams. And the first pick, or the team with the worst record, rather, can fall as far as five, uh, as opposed to last year when they had a 25% chance at the top pick and could fall as far as four. So with those odds moving around for the worst teams, obviously that percentage has got to go somewhere. So some of the better teams are going to have a better chance at that top pick. So how does that affect the way the lottery works, the way tanking works? Uh, do you want to start us off here? Yeah, so I think that obviously, as, as you said, it was an interesting proposal that the NBA created to try and limit the exposure from the one pick's ability to completely fall out of the bottom. And, and I believe, and I think this is largely worked as this case, is just they wanted to limit the potential for a team to be bad from the beginning and continue to be bad the rest of the rest of the way out. And obviously, that's that's a that's a pretty serious issue. However, I think that we've inter- it's been kind of interesting, and I think especially the Anthony Davis situation has really shown a lot of this. Where you look at Pelicans fans and you look at observers around the NBA, and they say we should let Anthony Davis not play because it'd be better for the team to get a better draft pick. And I just kind of find it interesting, and we're number one definitely true but isn't like the whole point of the tanking debate to try and make sure that teams wouldn't want to sit a player like anthony davis for a better draft pick i mean he's the top seven player in the league he's somebody that the fans are coming to see and you want that guy type of guy playing don't you think it's interesting that you bring up anthony davis i feel it's a little bit ironic because he at least to me seems like one of the earlier i mean early is a relative term but he was a guy where coming out of college, it was sort of like Anthony Davis is the prospect. He's the number one guy. He's who everyone wants to tank for. And that was the year that the uh, Charlotte then Bobcats set the record. It was the lottery shortened season, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they had. The, yeah, that was it. Yeah, the, the, uh, the lockout the short, the lockout shortened season. The, lock, the lockout shortened. Um, and they had the lowest win percentage of any team in NBA history in that sort of whether or not it was uh, intentional. And they didn't get they him. were tanking for Anthony Davis, and they ended up not getting him. You got my old Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Yeah, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, superstar. And, um, and, so, and so from my perspective, and I've, I've been talking with Derek a little bit about this, is just you, you take a look and see what the incentive structure have this have. The NBA has decided to move it. So as we say here today, the top five teams or so are pretty much locked in. It's we got New York, we have Phoenix, we have Cleveland, Chicago, and Atlanta. All of those teams are over three and a half games away from everybody else in the pack. Specifically, the top four teams are even further away from Atlanta with their most recent winning streak. Um, and you know, at this time, these three teams—New York, Phoenix, Cleveland—they largely don't have any reason to continue to lose because it's they're pretty much locked in. And I think that whether it would have and obviously there would be incentives for these teams to lose in the old system a little bit more because they would be fighting for a, for a better draft position. But the, the truth is, and from my from my view, and Derek, you can say something a little bit different if you don't see it this way. You've got three teams in that old system that were fighting for that pick. New York, Phoenix, Cleveland. Now what we have today is we have this second group of teams. We have Dallas, Washington, Memphis, and New Orleans. These three teams are one game back of each other, with Dallas being the leader at number six 
I'm sorry. When I say leader, I mean leader for the <laughs> for the draft for the draft order. Dallas has the worst record of the four teams, but is only one game ahead or one game back, however would you like to phrase it, yeah. from New Orleans. And all four of these teams, it's it's they've really made the incentive structure just massive for these middling teams, where you have Dallas. If they if they finish in sixth place, they'll have a thirty seven percent chance of getting the top four. And if they finish in ninth place, which again, one it's only one game difference right now, it, that drops to twenty percent. And it's a massive, massive incentive structure to me. And when you take a look at this, where you're enticing a whole new different group of teams to do some sort of a tanking. Absolutely. And, and Dallas is a really interesting example. Um, I mean, Dallas currently two and eight in their last 10. Uh, they started out pretty strong this season. Obviously they had Luca playing really, really well, but still is playing well. changed. They, I mean, he is, he is, he is still playing well, but depending on who you ask, he may have tapered off a little bit. Yeah. Triple double last because, night. Yeah. Triple double last night. Um, they definitely have, taken away some of the talent around him in an effort to obviously they did the Porzingis trade. Um, they moved Dennis Smith Jr. and DeAndre Jordan. They then moved in a next move, Harrison Barnes to the Kings. So definitely these mid-season moves by Dallas seem to hint. I mean, Mark Cuban is a guy who has explicitly said before in the past that he was tanking. The NBA fined him for that one. Uh, so clearly he knows what's going on. He understands and the other interesting wrinkle with Dallas is, of course, that pick protection with the, the Luka Doncic Trey Young trade, which we can talk about a little bit later. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they have a huge, even more than any other middling team, they have a huge incentive to jump into that top four uh, because of that pick protection. And, and I think what's tough for me, just as I mean, obviously, as somebody who just has a team, but just really is more interested in just watching guys play throughout the league. You just you kind of see these six. You see these four teams, and obviously they're still very bad teams. But they all have enough of at least one player that's a pretty interesting guy to watch on a night out night basis. If they would be to all be playing, however, these teams have an incentive to make these guys sit. Mike Conley, they say they have an incentive to have him sit. Washington has an incentive to make Brad Beal sit. Luca the same way in Dallas, and obviously as we talked about before, Anthony Davis. And you just look at this, and you just wonder. This potential incentive for these teams that are not completely horrible, teams that could affect the playoff race if they would be to decide to try and win, Right. who, who are we serving by incentivizing these teams to lose? So what's the best way to fix that, though? Because I feel like that might happen either way. I mean, once you're eliminated from the playoffs, you see teams with older players – like LeBron, they've been talking about him shutting it down. They do have a chance of jumping into the top four. I think it's 11.7% according to Tankathon right now. Um, so some of those guys might sit down uh, just because of age, just sort of to hold over for next season. I mean, you've seen that happen in all types of sports. Um, I, mean, I think that one incentive, and I think LeBron has this, and I'll tell you Carl Anthony Towns has this and Bradley Beal has this to some extent, is the uh, incentive structure for the all-NBA selections where – these players will have access to a higher contract if they're able to make the NBA. I think Bradley Beal is one to watch right now, especially for Washington, even though the team has essentially created a skeleton team around Bradley Beal, where they're now starting Troy Brown at the wing in the Riza has been out for the last couple of games. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's out held out for the extended period of time. However, if Bradley Beal is able to sneak into the third team all NBA this year, he'll be, he'll be eligible for the designated player extension 
coming up next year, the same one that John Wall signed. Right. That has um, not been so great for the Wizards. Yeah. Um, some might venture to call that the worst contract in all of sports, at least. Oh, oh, I don't know um, about that. You've got a lot of years <laughs> on that one, man. You might want to. You might. I think I'll, 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 I'll take I'll take Wall's contract over Albert Pujols's. I think. Right. With with a salary cap in the end. Uh, of the year. Okay, that's a fair point. Obviously, the salary cap makes things a little bit different, but and but and obviously these are contracts that look a lot worse in hindsight than they did at the time. And I think Brad Beal. Um, it would be a really tough decision for him. He's he stated publicly that he did wanted to leave, but it, it's very difficult to leave a four-year upwards of a hundred and seventy yeah. million dollar deal on the I table. Think recently, he's kind of gone back on that. I think he had a, one or two wizard for life comments. Maybe his agent whispered in his ear something about this uh, potential extension he could get with the All NBA team. I think also, and I think also, in, he's truly been able to be as when he's been the single. I mean, this, the guy for the Wizards in this run, he's put a lot of growth in this game. And if he's shown a lot of people outside of the league what he's able to do, or inside the league, I have my apologies. Outside and I think that Wizards. outside of the Wizards, outside of the Wizards organization and the Wizards fandom. And I think that when he doesn't, when he isn't playing with Wall, he really is the type A type player. And I think that that sort of a incentive structure has clearly provided him a reason to try. Now, the rest of the team, again, as we talked about before, it's not really there. And Memphis, Jaron Jackson being shut down for the year, obviously they're being precautionary, but I think that he probably helps them win games right now. And I think that he's not playing partially for that as well. And I think Anthony Davis, I mean, obviously they're they're very mad at him because that he wants to leave. But I think the other side of the coin is that these people want to lose to be able to find, to be able to, get a better pick. And I think the, the biggest irony of all of this is that outside of the number one pick this year, if you ended up jumping into the t- to num- pick number three or pick number four, I don't think that's where I'd want to be if I was a team this year. Obviously, you have Zion and Job, but after that, it's kind of a big guessing game. Yeah, I mean, and we can obviously – there are debates to be had about whether Ja is really in his own tier there at two, but that's – that's a whole other conversation, of course. Uh, it it is interesting that, but I think it but I think it plays into this though, doesn't it? I mean, it plays into this a little bit where you have to know what you're trying to. If you if you're tanking and you're trying to obtain these picks, you have to kind of have a goal. And I think that for a team like the Knicks, it's very clear that the goal is Zion, and anything else is you figure it out. But I think for these other teams, if you're trying to jump up, if you're trying to get three or four, I mean. You, do you really want to be the team that's going to go out and pick R.J. Barrett at number three? Do you want to be the team that's pick going out and picking Cam Reddish at number four? Because you got to remember, Derek, that these contracts have been boosted in value and that if you aren't a good player by your second or third year, you become a pretty much a big contract liability. And this is kind of what's something that happened with Markel Fultz a little bit. Yeah. He's going to be making $9 million next year. And you know, that's kind of a big number for somebody that has never shown the ability to play it all in the NBA at this point. Yeah, I mean, Markel Fultz is obviously his own case. We, we haven't seen... Obviously an exception to the rule, like right, right. With the magic, we haven't seen anything like him in recent years. I mean, you could say Anthony Bennett, but that was a year where people were surprised he went number one. Markel Fultz seemed to be the whole year. This is the guy. This is the big prospect. Um, right. So, I mean, and obviously that draft, when you look at the Mitchells and the Tatums um, and the Frank Nielakinas 
what a deep draft. Right. Um, um, but this year, I mean, obviously we'll see how it shakes out. It doesn't look like that great of a draft. And if you, if you think back to the 2013 draft, I believe was the last one that really seemed this dearth of talent. Uh, and that was the one where Giannis went 13th. So no one expected to him, him to get so good. Rudy Gobert was another late lottery or late first round pick as well. Um, so there will be one, one of my one of my favorite draft analysts. Uh, his name is Dean Demakis. I think he's on Twitter as at Dean on Draft. He started his midseason ranking saying, "We just this draft is really terrible, but nevertheless, here are the rankings." And then even at his number yeah. four spot, he said, "This may seem like a hot take, but there is no such thing as a hot take in this draft. Yeah. Everybody is so bad. Teams can reach whoever for whoever they want and not worried about missing out on a stud." So, yeah. I mean, you've got to think about it. It's just and – you, and you also have to put a lot of faith in your organization to figure out who's a guy that you'll be able to pick. For the Wizards, look at the Wizards. You look at New Orleans. These are not organizations that have any sort of a track record of success in the draft in terms of picking guys and being successful. And, and honestly, and just on the full – all around, you, you probably wouldn't have any faith in the, your organization, your front office to be the team that can pick the diamond out of this rough. So it, it's just a very weird situation where you're obviously the marginal incentives are there to continue to lose, but is it like, what is the overall goal here? It's just, yeah. it's just kind of a shame the way it's all worked out. I mean, if you ask me, the overall goal should be to just get as many picks as possible. I mean, well, of course you look at a team, no matter where they are, you look at a team like the Knicks, they've had really bad luck actually with their first round picks and surprisingly good luck with their second round picks. I mean, their past two drafts, they've taken Frank Nielakina and Kevin Knox. Those right. were at ninth and eighth overall. Uh, and then they had two second round picks, Damian Dotson and Mitchell Robinson, who look like they might be a bigger part of this team's future. And they're making a lot less money, of course. Well, that brings us to another interesting part point that I know that we wanted to, that you wanted to talk about a little bit with Damian Dotson. Will he be able to survive the cap? salary cheap purging that the Knicks will be going on this yeah. year to be able to potentially acquire Kevin Durant. Alonzo and, Trier is another one who's undrafted. <laughs> so not even a pick, uh, but he has outperformed Kevin Knox, depending on who you ask uh, this season. I don't know if he's necessarily the better future prospect, but he's looked like he belongs on an NBA court. For and, will, and, and will Alonzo Trier survive? Yeah, this that's, that's, that's why I mentioned his name. I mean, yeah, he might I mean, be gone, but I think if you ask a Knicks fan, uh, if they have to say goodbye to Alonzo Trier to say hello to Kyrie and Durant, well, it depends on who you ask. But uh, well, if you ask Bill Simmons, <laughs> who said today that he will bet the house, yep, that Durant signs with the Knicks. That's what he said today on on the Pope Mike Francesa's radio show. He thinks that it will be Kyrie and Durant, and so, you know, it, yeah. at this point, Bill Simmons is not right very much, but. You know, he people still think that uh, his word is good, and so my, people believe his people believe what he has to say in his machinations of the league. Yeah, I mean, as a as a big Knicks fan myself, uh, who has a lot of stock in this, and Bill Simmons obviously is a big Celtics fan for Kyrie Irving. I don't want to talk too much on this just because I feel like on both ends it's a little bit it gets a little emotional, not, not as much as logical as we might necessarily want with this conversation, but there definitely is a big chance that those two guys go to the Knicks. Um, but we're getting a little bit off track of our, our tanking conversation here. So we might want to just wrap it up with a final thought 
on this, how do you feel about the wheel system? So uh, if, for those of you who don't know, the wheel system could potentially replace the entire lottery. I'm not sure how close it is to really becoming a reality, but a lot of NBA people have brought this up. Uh, potentially over the next 30 years, each team could be randomly slot into a year. So for example, the Knicks could all of a sudden be 2023 guaranteed the number one pick in the draft, but then they would not be guaranteed the number one pick in the draft again until 2053. Uh, assuming there are no lottery, no, not lottery, no uh, expansion teams added to the league by then. I'm not sure how that would work, but essentially what that would do is remove all of the potential reason for tanking just because it's not going to affect your record. Isn't going to affect where you pick in the draft. Uh, so obviously the downsides of that, a team like the Warriors right now, for example, I mean, obviously the Warriors are a special case with their crazy number of all-stars, but a team like the Warriors could end up getting Zion next year. Of course uh, there's a chance technically they could trade for him. I don't, I don't know how that works, but uh, in terms of the wheel, that would be, one of the big downsides. What are your quick thoughts on that? I guess until we, uh, before we move on to our fantasy draft. Yeah, I think that that's just something that's kind of. I mean, obviously, a lot of this is what what will be able to be passed through the league office, and I think if that's something that the league office is into, this is into and, and finds to be appealing, then I'd be okay with it. I just don't. I I still don't necessarily see the whole need for a draft if you have a salary cap system. And somebody wants to offer Zion a max contract next year. Who? I mean, who am I to say no? I mean, I don't. I don't. If the Knicks decide to clear out the cap space for Kevin Durant, they don't get Kevin Durant. They don't get Kyrie, and they decide to give Matt Zion a four-year max contract. Well, what's, if he lives, what's more likely is they would give RJ Barrett a four-year max contract. Going into the fantasy draft now. So, like we said before. Um, we're going to do a fantasy draft of all the rookies that have entered the league this year. I'm assuming, unless you want to correct me, uh, what we're going to say is you, you just get their contract right now, uh, assuming there's you know all the stipulations like restricted free agency coming up, how much money that player makes, how you see them projecting out over the next a few years of the length of their contract and how they would fit together on a team. So this isn't necessarily just you think the five best rookies, but you're drafting a team that, let's say, our two starting fives would go against each other, and one of them would win the more championships, probably mine, over the next five years. Does that sound, <laughs> does that sound like a good way to do it? Sounds like the way to out. Yeah, that sounds perfect. All right, great. So how do you want to do this? So I guess we could do a snake uh, a snake. We'll definitely do a snake. Do you want first, or do you want the uh, the second half of the snake? Up to you. Uh, I. Why don't you go first, just because your boy, uh, your boy has always been your boy, and he's there at one. <laughs> so why don't you go grab him? Yeah. So I have been a pretty big fan um, of Luka Doncic for a significant amount of time. I saw him play uh, when he was 16 years old in Real at Real Madrid in person. And yeah, I'm gonna take the best rookie on the uh, on the board, Luka Doncic, and I think that the re- my one quick reason why, I mean, he is somebody that just raises the floor of the offense every time that he steps on the court with his vision, with his shot making ability, and I I really don't see anybody in this draft. Obviously, Trey Young has had a good run. I don't see anybody that affects the game nearly as much on a day to day basis as Luka does. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get any arguments from me 
on the Luca front. Uh, although hopefully he never has a superstar teammate to play with him uh, in Dallas. But moving on, I mean, I think at this point, of course, you never really know how these things are going to project out in a few years. Remember, Tyreek Evans won Rookie of the Year in a draft that included, I believe, Steph Curry and Blake Griffin and maybe James mm-hmm. Harden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can actually double – that would be a fun little exercise. But um, I, I would see, say that based on their current body of work, uh, you got to go Trey Young, number two. Obviously, mm-hmm. he has those huge defensive limitations. Uh, there's a chance that he never really becomes better – than one of the five worst defensive point guards in basketball. But I think that, A, for a guard, offense is that much more important, especially for a guard. I completely agree. He's just shown that much of an ability to affect the game offensively this season, whether it's – I mean, obviously his shooting – his three-point shooting numbers haven't been incredible. I think he's shooting around 33% from three, but he's taking these ridiculous threes from 40 feet out. He's taking them off the dribble. uh, And his passing – has really looked like it's elite, almost elite right now, uh, and definitely in a few years, way he learns the NBA game, learns the angles more. He has a chance to be, dare I say, like a 25 and 15 guy if he hits his peak. Um, I, I think that that Trey Young definitely is going to be my number two pick. Uh, and if I'm, I, if, I'm, if I'm picking someone to pair up with him, uh, where am I going to go? Uh, I think that definitely if you're building a team, you want someone that's going to pick up for Trey's defensive deficiencies. Uh, and in terms of a guy that projects out long-term for me to be able to do that, I would have to go with Jaron Jackson Jr. from the Grizzlies. He has shown the ability to, I mean, at least the potential to become a game-changing defensive player on the perimeter and on the interior. Uh, he seems to be the kind of guy that could be a very useful complimentary offensive player with his shooting, uh, whether it's pick and roll, he's going to, he's still going to learn his offense has a long way to go, but he's very young and his defensive ceiling is there. Uh, I'm tempted obviously to go with Mitchell Robinson (laughs) in this position. Um, But I mean, I think Jaron Jackson Jr. Is the guy I want if I'm Trey Young. And it's interesting because the Hawks kind of have, have a guy in John Collins that, that could look like the kind of pairing with Trey Young that could really work long-term. They've got some exciting stuff going on in Atlanta, even though they did trade Luka Doncic uh, in a move that was pretty pretty hated by you and I alike. But it seems like it may not be that bad, depending on how the other pick works out. We'll see what happens. But uh, you want to take your second second and third picks here? Yeah, let's make a quick comment. I think that the Trey – I mean, I think that even coming out of college, it was his passing was something that people were really – overlooking, I mean, the amount of assists that he was getting in a given game, obviously it was a very high usage, but you really just don't really see that at the college level, and especially if you were watching any of those games, guys he was playing around were just were just not great players. Um, obviously, they're better than me, but um, just <laughs> not really great compared to the rest of the NCAA competition. And I think the biggest thing between Trey and Luca right now for me, and I think that a lot, they actually have a lot of similarities offensively, is just defensively, I think Trey long term is is a strong liability. Um, his his RPM defensive RPM numbers are among the worst in the league, and obviously RPM not doesn't necessarily end all be all, but I think it's something to consider. Hopefully, someone forward. should tell Kevin Knox that. I believe yeah, he's right. currently last by a lot. So I think that for the my last two picks in this draft aren't necessarily who I think are the 
fourth and fifth best players in this draft, but I think that there's a, a glut of bigs that I really like a lot. Um, so I'm going to pick uh, a pair of teammates, actually. I'm going to pick Shai Gilgis-Alexander from the Los Angeles Clippers, and I'm going to take Landry Shamay from the Clippers as well. Um, I look at I look at Shai, I look at, and I see a guy that's just a, a great defender, and I see a guy that can guard already as a rookie, which is pretty rare, can guard one through three pretty, pretty well with that long frame. And, um, you know, this year he's been a part of winning basketball, and same with Landry, two guys that have been with teams that are either going to make the playoffs or on the border with the Clippers or with Landry in the beginning of the year, he was one of the most important players for the Sixers. And it's a little shocking that they gave him up, but Landry, he's a phenomenal shooter. The Clippers are already running plays specifically for him, running him off of screens multiple times in the game. And I think picking up those two guys, I've, I've locked up the wing shooter who can be low, um, low usage but high efficiency, and the defensive soccer point guard that's going to just get in the way, great health defender, and just kind of give me some deals going forward. Yeah, I mean, not too many people might know if you're a casual fan about Landry Schmidt and what he's done this year, uh, which is interesting considering he's played in two pretty big markets for pretty good teams. Yeah, uh, But there's an argument he's been one of the three best rookies in basketball this year, depending on how you slice it. Yep. With that shooting ability, he can come off screens. He opens up a lot for your offense. Uh, so I definitely like those picks. I was actually considering going Shea as a sort of sharing the backcourt with Trey. I think that could potentially work, and the Trey-Shea duo names would just be plentiful. <laughs> um, now you got to find somebody to guard point guards. That's yeah. the trick now. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, my, my hope is eventually sometime down the road, uh, Jaron Jackson can – maybe even be serviceable. I'm not going to say he's going to be a good point guard defender, um, but with his length and quickness, who knows? Uh, definitely, though, that is a big concern for me at this point in my draft, and the wing depth in this draft is not great. So I think I'm going to have to go with a high floor pick here, and I'm going to take Mikhail Bridges from the Suns. I think he's had a very good rookie year. He's a little older than you might want from a, a rookie. Uh, he came into the league at 21.8 years of age, um, but he's had a pretty good year. Uh, defensively, he's looked like he has the potential to be a solid perimeter defender for a long time. Uh, and he's just that 3 and D kind of guy that everyone's sort of looking for uh, in the draft these days. Um, so he's the kind of guy that will help someone like Trey Young because he doesn't necessarily need the ball. He can play off on offense, he can cut a little bit, and he can sort of help some of those deficiencies that Trey has on defense with his length. I mean, 6'7", 210 for Mikal Bridges. He can defend a few different positions, and he's got the quickness to hopefully pick up some of those point guards. Um, and then just in terms for my next pick. In Your last pick. I'm sorry? I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, never mind. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm a mistake. I get, getting greedy there. there. Um, <laughs> it, it, for my next pick, though, uh, just looking at the talent in this draft and looking at where it is uh, in terms of what kind of position, I'm, I'm thinking that I don't know if, if Jaron Jackson is going to be playing center for me. Uh, I feel like that might be where he hits his ceiling in the NBA, but if I'm building a starting five here, his ceiling isn't necessarily my team's ceiling. Um, so, I mean, obviously, we're only picking five players each, but I truly believe, and 
granted, I'm a Knicks fan. I truly believe Mitchell Robinson is the guy I want here. Uh, I, I could consider, obviously, DeAndre Ayton and Bagley have had good years. But the number one, number two pick in the draft, like we touched on earlier, they're making a whole lot more money. Mitchell Robinson was the 36th overall pick in the draft. Uh, and this is a guy who has shown an incredible potential ceiling this season while also playing at a pretty good level. So a lot of times you have a guy like Kevin Knox, for example, his teammate, has shown some of those flashes. You know, he had a few 30-point games, and those are the kind of things when you're watching a rookie, you're like, okay, like he's not playing well now because he's a rookie, but you kind of see what he could become. Uh, Mitchell Robinson has shown those flashes, and he's also contributed at an NBA level. Uh, you could argue he's been one of the better rookies in the league this season, and he missed an entire year of basketball last year. Uh, so I'm going to go with Mitchell. I think that his ability to block shots on the perimeter can really help him in the future in this sort of switchable league. I don't know if he's going to really be able to stay with a guard ever, but his ability to actually defend that three-point line is something that if he grows into that, he could be a real, uh, he could really have a chance at being defensive player of the year if he hits his ceiling. I definitely think that the expected value for him is one of those two all defense teams. I, I truly believe that we'll, we'll see where the offense goes. Obviously, you know, he fits more of the rim running pick and roll lob catching kind of prototype, uh, which, you know, those guys are easy to find in the NBA these days. But if the defense hits where I think it can go, and that defensive ceiling to me is way higher than what you're getting from Aiton, from Bagley, uh, from any of these other guys. Wendell Carter, you can have a discussion, of course. He's looked really great defensively. Um, but Mitchell Robinson, to me, with that contract, uh, he's my guy here. All right. I mean, I was going to let you uh, let you run on a bit about your boy, your boy Mitchell. Um, all, all I'm going to say is you're putting a lot of a lot of pressure on Trey Young. Uh, you're almost you're almost creating a team pretty similar to his Oklahoma team. A lot of defense, uh, not much offense so far outside of Jaron, who I think has some offensive potential, but uh, eh, not right now, at least. He has to prove it. Uh, I'm not going to get too. I'm not going to go too um, too um, crazy here. I'm just going to take the number one of the number two picks in the last draft. I'm going to take Marvin Bagley and DeAndre Ayton, and I'm going to say that obviously DeAndre Ayton has not been as great as we. Actually, I wouldn't even say that. He's been as expected on defense. But he's also been as expected on offense, where he's been a pretty good offensive center so far this year. And maybe it comes around defensively, maybe it doesn't. Or maybe we just run teams off the court with on offense with Luca, Shy, Landry, and Marvin. And DeAndre Ayton, I mean, it's just – it's pretty tough to uh, beat these guys. And I think Marvin Bagley is somebody that has shown a lot more in the NBA this year than I think a lot of people were expecting. And especially just a very diverse game, an inside-out game. And he's, he's showed up a little bit defensively as well, and his on-off numbers are much better than most typical rookies. So I'm going to lock those two in, and I'm going to run out my lineup of – actually, I'll wait and let you pick your last pick. No, I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense. Look, you've got some big names there. I'm not sure how many guys you're going to stop on that team, but if, you, if your concerns about my team's offense are legit, then you might not need to stop much of anyone. Well, I've got shy. I've got shy on Trey, so you got to figure out everybody else. You do have shy. You do have shy. <laughs> Hopefully, I mean, I think McCall can develop into, you know, a guy that can give you 13 to 15 points. Uh, obviously, you don't necessarily want him to be your second option on offense. Um, but in terms of this draft, you know, the, the wings outside of Luka 
there isn't much offensive talent. You can say what you want to say about Kevin Knox. And obviously we haven't seen Michael Porter play at all yet. Um, but that is going to be an interesting thing to look at for the future of this draft. So I believe I only have one spot left yep. uh, for my team. And I, you know, I'm scrolling, I'm looking for a guy that can give me some points uh, on his own. There really aren't many. So I'm just going to pick another complimentary guy. I'm going to take Trey Young's current teammate. Kevin Herter has Good been choice. excellent this year for the Atlanta Hawks. Um, and he kind of fits some of that same sort of Landry Schmidt molds that you, that you're building with that team. Um, he's shooting a lot of threes. He's hitting them at a good clip. He's running around. He's shown the ability to cut. Uh, and he seems like he's going to be a big future, big part of this Hawks team's future. Uh, and he'll be a big part of my team's future as well. Uh, knocking off, uh, knocking down threes off of those Trey Young passes, just like he does in real life. And there'll be plenty of players on this team to pick up for him defensively. Um, so I think that we got some, we got some bigs. We got a good battle between our bigs. Uh, you got two, two big scorers. I got two, two big defenders. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a very, it it's a very kind of a, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely two different styles, which is what I love here. So here we go. So let's just run through both of these. So we got as our guards, I would say for me, Shy and Landry against for you, Trey and Kevin. Um, I would, and obviously, actually, fitting two teammates for both teams, both, both the guard pairings. Yeah. Um, our forward or our our wing type guy for you, um, Mikel, and one. I mean, obviously, Jaron more of a more of a big, but has some uh, has some wing in him as well. And for myself, Luca, and then we got Bagley and Aiton against uh, Robinson and Jaron Jackson. So, who do you think? How do you feel? How do you feel about your team matching up? Well, I, I, I got to say, in terms of just pure talent, I mean, you, you're looking at the top three picks in the draft on your team. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're looking at an aggregate salary, I would say my guys are making a whole lot less money, depending on how this system actually ends up working. I would hope that I could build a better bench than you. And I think that my defense is going to be solid. Hopefully, Jaron, I have a lot of faith he can, de- he can develop into a guy with that 20-point-per-game potential, which, which my team is really going to need from him. Uh, but I think Trey's going to create enough offense, and these other guys are going to be able to pick up for him on defense and shoot enough threes around him that I'll be able to put enough points. And I'll tell you, and I'll tell you the contract situation obviously is, is a fair point, but Landry Chimay, $1.7 million this year, $1.9 million next year. He's a pretty low base since he was picked so late in the first round. Yep, 26th overall. 26 overall, but um, I'll tell you what. So I'll just give you my personal take with your squad. I was kind of surprised that Miles Bridges didn't come off the board. I thought that he might be a guy, somebody that would be able to create some offense. And I think that, you know, he, he plays in the market that doesn't get a lot of love. And that can – but he's starting on the team. Obviously, the East is not great this year, but a borderline playoff team. And uh, I think that – He's had a pretty good year. From the, I mean, at least when I've seen him in person, he's he's not popped too much, but he's been kind of in the right place at the right time. He definitely and, pops in, in terms of his dunks. Well, that's that is true. <laughs> that is definitely the case. And um, uh, so, but I, I overall I like your team. It's a it's a defensive team, which is ironic given Trey. I think that you have some guys that can guard. Um, I, I don't know if the shot creation is there though. 
that's so kind of the just, biggest question going forward. Just to uh, just to offer a final rebuttal before we end this up, I just I just did a, some poll in the stats. Currently, Miles Bridges this season is averaging seven points per game. Uh, he's shooting thirty two percent from three. Kevin Herter averaging nine and a half points per game. He's shooting thirty eight percent from three. So mm-hmm. depending on your definition of shot creation. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel pretty okay about my Kevin Herter pick. Right. Uh, obviously, Miles uh, Bridges does make some sense. Maybe two M Bridges on the same team would be a little, <laughs> a little confusing for the fans. And of course, Herter with that seven set. Uh, sorry, seven six foot seven inch height. He's got a six foot eight inch wingspan as well. Um, so him alongside Macau Bridges. I don't know if he grows into his defensive potential. This team could be uh, pretty good at covering up for Trey's flaws and allowing yeah, them on offense. Yeah, it would be very similar to, I mean, obviously the Atlanta Hawks are building their team, taking a guy from the Warriors, trying to build their team in the, length, uh, in the same sort of mold as the Warriors. And I think there's some Warriors-ish quality, so you can kind of see a hoarder as a, as a clay-type mold. You could see Trey as a Steph Curry-type mold. And I think that's how they see it, at least. And I think that's what how they – want to have their team going forward. But, uh, yeah, I think that I understand your point, and I think that's a, I think it's a fair point. But um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see going forward. We'll see how these teams work, work out. We'll have to keep track of this going forward in the uh, next couple of years and see who had the squad that um, was more valuable. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I guess we're coming up close to our time now, so we will wrap this up. Again, feel free. This is our – our first podcast, so uh, a lot of room to make changes, a lot of room to hopefully improve. Uh, I mean, hopefully we have no room to improve, but um, <laughs> I doubt that's not the case. We're, we're gonna uh, we're gonna move forward and see how this goes. So, if you did tune in, really appreciate it. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, RJ, any final thoughts from you before we cut this out? No, I mean I'm excited to see how these these last couple of playoff spots break out. I'm excited to see. Um, who wins that disastrous division in the Southeast. Um, and I'm decided to see who ends Divisions up. Divisions are still a thing in the NBA. They, they are. They are. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm also excited. They still fly banners. <laughs> yeah. I, and I'm <laughs> excited to see what happens with this with this East and this West last couple of playoff spots. I think that we've got an exciting playoffs where there's a lot more uncertainty than there are in most years. And I, for one, can't be more excited. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, RJ, and we'll talk again very soon. Great. Thanks, Derek. Have a great one. See you, man.